Yes, it's the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show sponsored by Cheshire Impact on a mission to maximize your use of marketing automation and CRM, CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And today's guest, who is it? Oh, we'll get to who it is, but he is often speaking at large events, small events, events here and there, web, about web, about content, about social, everything. And if you're not at that event, you don't get to hear what he's saying. But if you're listening to this, you do. So it's really exciting. And in fact, actually, he's bouncing out to catch a flight as soon as we're done here. He's going to hop in his um, Corvette. I just made that up. But Andy, Andy Crescidina, welcome, sir. The, the chief marketing officer, co-founder, Orbit Media Studios, uh, which I'll have you all know, award-winning web design company. And he is also a sage. He is an oracle not the database company, <laughs> the ancient Greek mountains of Pythia. Climb them with me. He is a, an oracle when it comes to content and content strategy and content marketing. He built his whole company on that. So, Andy, welcome, sir. Thanks for having me, Casey. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely, man. And uh, we were chatting a little bit earlier. The theme of this month is along that maturity model for marketing automation. We want people to, before they click, before they build something, harass someone on email, they, there's some steps. You got you to gotta put in some steps. And so we have, uh, earlier we learned all about buyers and understanding your buyer personas, things like that. We've, we've got some things in place last month around attribution and understanding what sources are working, what's not working. And now it's time to be marketers. It's time to do content marketing. Mm -hmm. And so what better way to kick this thing off than have you on here and, uh, you know, one of the things we like to do too is just smash some myths because I know there's a lot of uh, all sorts of goofy strategies going around that are complete bullshit. So I wanted to just pass you the mic and say, is there something you want to smash right now? Just punch it in the face. Yeah. I mean, right off the bat, we got to say that, uh, great content wins. Not true. It's really? not really, no, I'm not, I don't think that's true at all. Um, the best article, uh, will fail uh, and uh, get its butt kicked by a good article uh, that has better promotion. So when we say there's content marketing and, and, and you know we need to make great content, it's actually the marketing piece that has a bigger correlation with success. So if there's one thing you got to debunk right away, it's the fact that just make something good and everything will you know follow. Not so. So field the dreams, not true. If you not build true. it, they will not come. That's yeah, we knew it from that exactly, right? Interesting. Yeah. So uh, I would put it this way. Um, good content with great promotion will kick the ass of great content with good promotion. Interesting. Right? It's really the promotion job, the marketing job, the, the people who are the hackers at search and social and email that will get way, way better results than people who are just like, the knowledge, the subject matter expert, or you know, the best writer on the planet, or um, the person who can uh, you know craft that message beautifully. Nope, they lose all the time to great to people who are better at the promotion side. And, okay, so but is there still a, a bar to hit on the content, or is it the biggest lever is on the promotion of it? I am not arguing against quality content and I, <laughs> and I work very, very hard to create stuff that is useful sure. and uh, it, you know, it, it's a multiplier, right? If the thing is actually high quality, it's going to make all the difference. I mean, nothing will save a bad article, Okay, but you, but you just put it well, right? Is it like a, a standard to which we must 
meet, you know, a standard we have to meet to be able to get to that minimum requirement of having someone even care or read or stay. Sure. But, uh, but I think that there's a lot of people out there that just talk about quality and great stuff and make something great. And that's all mm-hmm. you need to do. Um, I think that where most people fail is in, I mean, we can get into it. I think there's, there's yeah. a lack of originality in a lot of ways. I think that there's a certain format for content that outperforms all the other formats. But, um, but where I see a lot of people missing is on the just basics, the promotion, researching keywords, understanding competition in SEO, target a phrase that you have a chance of ranking for, or headline authoring, right? It's like, this is what most people are going to see is the headline. So yeah. people who people, a lot of people don't work hard enough at the headline authoring. A lot of people haven't read the research about what actually gets the most traction in headlines. Are we trying to be purists? We're trying to be like content purists, like make this beautiful stuff and and be noble and mm-hmm. yeah, it's marketing. But I, you know, I hear if it's cliche, it's something you probably need to pay attention to. The idea mm-hmm. of the subject lines or yeah, if you add a number into it, it always gets people, but that's what everyone does. But is there that certain formula? What, what do you see on headlines even? Well, there's a, there's a guy named Steve Rayson, who's the co-founder of BuzzSumo. And Steve did an analysis. He's like a statistician. Okay. Did an analysis of 100 million headlines. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. Him and personally? Is he a gray beard now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he read them all yeah. and, uh, and, and found the correlation between, uh, cer- between engagement and certain, certain aspects of headlines. No, he uses R. It's like that statistician language. It's like a oh, programming geez. language. He finds correlations. Okay. He's sumo, so he has all the data. Right. And, and what he finds is that certain headlines get way, way more engagement in social media. And he doesn't just break it down by what words get traction or what numbers get traction, although he's got some of that. He breaks it down into trigrams, what three-word phrases huh. correlate, correlate with tons of shares, uh, tons of engagement. And I'm going to read you a list of the, the three-word phrases that get a disproportionate yeah, let's do it. massive amount of shares uh, in, in Facebook, at least, right? He has, all the, he has access to all the social networks, mm. Facebook and Twitter mostly. And I'm going to just go ahead and, and throw out yeah. this. This is supposition that if they worked in that channel, they'd work with human psychology in general and that they would make good subject lines. Okay. Or that they would make good title tags. What works in social will probably work very well in email. Okay. Might even, might even be translatable into search. So these are the three word phrases. We'll make you. This is why. Can we guess? The reason is. Are freaking out. <laughs> stunning photos, tears of joy is what happens, makes you cry, talking about it, shock to see, melt your heart. So it's like a clickbaity stuff, a lot of it. Yeah. And um, Steve asked me to contribute a quote to this article, and I made a joke at the very end. I like, tried to write a headline that uses them all. <laughs> so here's the greatest headline in the world, or what we'll get yes. to sharing it's in Facebook. <laughs> we can call bullshit on this immediately afterwards, but, but it, it may kind of get it. <laughs> This is what you we should, this is the, would this be the greatest, the most shared headline? Yes. This is why these 10 stunning photos will make you cry tears of joy. Mm. I almost want to click on that right now. So yeah, there's no value in that necessarily. Yeah, you know what? Clicking. We're naming this episode something like that. <laughs> we'll combine <laughs> them all. You'll get amazing results. Uh, the other thing you find is length. The average headlines that get the most traction in Facebook are pretty long, like 15 words, 15 word headlines. So uh, a lot of people are just not going to bat with enough ammo, like bring the big guns and write a, you know, you can actually use double headlines sometimes. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, 
10 competitive analysis tools, colon, five, you know, how to spy on your competition. Like, like you're doing AdWords, but in the, in the title. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Use the AdWords skills. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. So, so yeah, like these are, um, it's the people who think this way who get way better results. What you and I are doing right now, you know, we're adding, we're, we're, we're build, we're, we're attaching rocket boosters to that, that good article we just wrote. Right. I mean, we could write a great article and ignore headline best practices and get medium results. You get or we five could, views. <laughs> yeah. Or we could write, an, we could write a, a, a really good article, of course. We meet the minimum right. threshold. And then, sure. we, and then we use every cognitive bias, every trick in the <laughs> yeah. book, right? We use all the human psychology elements we can to maximize engagement, shares, clicks, likes, opens, rank, all those things, right? It's right. really a promotion game. How how do you work that in your head? Because part of me kind of cringes inside. Um, and we even say like the terms clickbaity. You know, we we think negatively of uh, you write some clickbaity article. The three surprising photos. This is why the three photos. You know, the thirteen reasons why I have tears of joy watching Steve Harvey. You know, like we're just like oh, you know, we're you're. It's like intentional and. I, maybe as marketers, we see it and we understand that, oh, it's, it's a clickbaity thing, but perhaps not everyone else. Or how do you get your head around it or do you just do it? No, no. I, my general advice is don't write clickbait. I'm not writing clickbait. I would right. never write clickbait. Clickbait's like a lie. You know, clickbait's when you, you offer That's value. Point. You know? yep. it, it, it implies there's value and then there's not. And you regret Bait, clicking. Like, yeah. But, true. But actually, I think that the number one trigram that gets shared the most in Facebook does, it gives us a clue. It's will make you. So it's indicating mm. some value or it has some specificity. It tells you that something will happen if you read this. It's like, um, you know, let, let's say we finish this piece and the best headline we can come up with for this podcast is something like, you know, five tactics that will make you a better marketer. marketer. Right. We indicate a benefit. So indicate a benefit, be explicit, be descriptive. Right. No longer tell people more about why they should care. Uh, so no, don't write clickbait. And if you feel like you got to take a shower after you write your headlines, like don't use that headline, <laughs> feel gross, make, make, but, but be descriptive, give right. people value. Um, and then if, I mean, if we're going to go one level deeper, I would say, uh, content that answers questions works great in search mm. and by meeting expectations, uh, content that triggers curiosity works great in social by, uh, being unexpected. So search, yeah. search meets expectations. Social, be unexpected. They're sort of the opposite. So be very explicit in the benefit of your article if you're writing a title tag for SEO. And if you're writing for social, um, leave, that's when the curiosity gap can work. You know, and just yes. say, you know, the one thing you didn't, uh, you know, the one thing you thought you knew might be wrong about social media. And then give a great value behind that, right? It's not just right. like, like be, be really super useful when you get to the article. Well, I think you're right. It, the clickbait only re- applies to the, the bait and switch. So if you generally or if you genuinely do have a great article, it's almost, I mean, it, it's in everyone's best interest that you get that in front of people. So use the techniques that work. I mean, we talked to Marley, who is working with motivational psychologists. I mean, it's not cheating. It's understanding as long as you have a good, as long as you're doing good, not evil, Google, then, then you'll be fine. And you believe in it. I like the way you just said yeah. that. It's like, it's in everyone's best interest. Right. 
it's literally in everyone's best interest. So it's not, um, you're not trying to trick anybody. You wouldn't want to. You're trying to build credibility. Right. It, I don't know anybody that wants to trick readers like that. We're I don't not- know. I get emails. <laughs> I, get, <laughs> I get spam uh, almost every other day now. And, you know, and that part is it's always the same that they like the spammers using the same template. <laughs> yeah. And then, but do you ever act on that? What, what do you think their results are? I mean, it's a horrible oh, tactic. That'd be horrible. It's yeah. the worst. But okay, so I digress. So it's the promotion. And now now that being said, we gotta do the promotion. Then now we switch the article. We gotta make sure that's quality. And I yep. think one of the things I heard you say at some point was not all articles are are equal in terms of their their goodness or their quality. It's definitely true. I mean I, I the myth that I was trying to bust there is that um yeah. quality is enough. In that, and but I love that. Yeah, you know, Quality, it's not not it's, enough. It's not enough. But yeah. you, you know, you, I mean, we all work really hard to give away our best advice every day. So True. it's like, yeah, put everything you can into that article, and it, it, I, I'm I try to stay as far over on that end of the spectrum as I can for delivering value. My average article takes me six to eight hours to create, going really deep. I only write one every two weeks, and I put in diagrams and charts and evidence and quotes and detail and I do original research. You know, I do everything I can to be as valuable as possible. Uh, and where's that at? Where's that, where's that blog at? Uh, orbitmedia.com slash blog. Okay. okay. That's, that's the main place that I write. I write for other sites occasionally, but, um, it's mostly at orbit media and, uh, and, and that job that we're all doing is to maximize the value and make the reader glad that they paid attention and, you know, you get kind of this dark social benefit from that. Like people talk about your blog and I, I meet people who dark say, yeah. Dark social. I like that. It's like dark matter. Yeah. Dark. It's in thing. Clicks. Yeah. It's <laughs> what, like, what is dark social? It's social that isn't measurable. So let's huh. say, so I, I read, I read some like, okay, this, this article, this research by Steve. Wow. That was useful. I'm going to share that with you right now, Casey. There you go. You click on that link I just yeah. shared. Yep. Just shared it in the, uh, the chat Just, window here. Yeah, I shared it in the chat window. You, you that's not measurable. There's right. no likes, right? That so the number one channel for for sharing is email. You know, and that would show up as a direct, right? You wouldn't even be able to see what that is. It would show up as direct because it came yeah. out of this app. It came out of this tool. That's yeah. dark social. So referrals, word of mouth, email sharing. These aren't measurable or reportable or attributable, but. Uh, you know, you're going to meet people on the street who say, yeah, you know, I started a new company and my boss told me to subscribe to your blog because that's how we train ourselves is by reading your content. Right. You know, or yeah, my friend. Yeah, how do you attribute that? <laughs> unattributable, yeah. dark social. Dark, yeah. Dark matter. It is. It sounds cool, right? It does sound cool. At first I was thinking like it's Darth Vader, you know, tweeting. <laughs> I get it. Not, you know, clearly Darth. not. Darth social. <laughs> the real Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Darth okay, Maul, so Darth social. So uh, now are there any other myths you want to smash before we start picking these things apart? Mm, boy, there's a lot. Um, I know. I, you know, I, I realize I, it's like I've asked Elon Musk to describe, you know, orbital velocity of rockets, but I asked it anyway, so. Yeah. Uh, what, what's kind of triggering you lately? Just you see it, you're seeing it out there and people are just sort of propagating it. Again, dark social, they're sharing the same right. junk that doesn't really. Well, a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, or it's not as obvious. You don't hear this much. 
uh, social media visitors are extremely low quality. Interesting. They never become leads. Really? Almost. I mean, in a B2B context, you're kidding yourself if you think that social media is driving leads. Go look at the conversion rate. Especially from Facebook. (laughs) I know. Exactly. Yeah. So the benefits of social media for a B2B marketer, and a lot of our listeners here in our space, like me and you, we're B2B. Yeah. Those people need to use social media for networking. Social media is an amazing networking tool. It's good for outreach. Mm. It's good for finding blog, you know, finding journalists and bloggers and contributors. Now, where, where, other stats? Was this from Sumo? Like, where did you get this? Because you, you basically just gave depression to everyone that's in a social job description right now. Well, I love social, but not for, not for demand gen. Not for demand gen. Not in B2B. So yeah. I, mean, I can't remember ever filling out a form that I... Not likely. Well, it, the data is in all of our analytics. So go to the, assuming you have, a, you have um, uh, GA set up properly. Sure. Go to acquisition, all traffic channels. Yep. Now you're looking at your default channel groupings. Now click on social to drill down to the social networks. Sure. The drill down from the default channel grouping dimension and for social is the networks themselves. Your social network, scroll over to the right and ask yourself what percentage of visitors take those, take those actions. Right. So I'm looking at an account that has 0.002%, uh, 0.04%. Like mm. these are horrible numbers, right? You would starve before you made a living driving demand from social media. From a, now, that said, there's two kinds of conversions. There's the subscriber conversions for mm. content marketing. Yep. Maybe there's something gated or maybe you've got a email, CTA. And then there's the demand gen, like lead gen. So social media visitors do subscribe sometimes. They just almost never do become subscribe. a lead. Now, I mean, a lot of folks, you fill out any one of my capture forms, you're, you're a lead now, <laughs> immediately getting called lead. by sales. Okay. Yep, so the, that's the definition of lead, right? You're gonna, that's, um, uh, there's commercial intent, mm-hmm. which is a, uh, you know, a sales qualified lead, which is sure. someone who raised their hand who said, I want you to, I want to try to hire you here. Right. Um, so anyway, in my experience, you know, there's, it's again, the difference between search and social okay. uh, vi- visitors in social are bored. Visitors in search are busy. So true, man. So true. Search. They have an intent. They're looking for an answer. Social. Yep. Right. You know, I just woke up. I'm not even thinking like this morning. I woke up in a <laughs> random room in Toronto. I'm like, where am I? Instagram, checking them all. Cause why not? And yeah. And you're, yeah. but you never touched a keyboard, right? Right. You, you social, you're just on glass. And here's another way to think of it. In social media, you know, every, in social media targeting, you know everything about who they are, but mm-hmm. you have no idea what they're thinking. <laughs> Search, you know nothing about who they are, but you know everything about what they're thinking. They just typed it into right. a box, right? So right. A, a visitor from Search has, depending on the key phrase, you know, they have commercial intent. Yes. They want, they're looking, they have a problem, they're trying to solve it. They need to, you know, they got their wallet out sometimes, you know, so there's, um, these are completely different types of targeting, but for the most part, yeah, visitors from social media would rarely, almost ever rarely have any B2B commercial intent. Interesting. I wonder if, is that a talk that gets really popular at the social media events you speak at? (laughs) No. Or do you save that uh, one for the uh, the SEO conference? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the social media, if you speak at a social media conference, you're going to get a lot of B2C marketers. True. And, True. and those people are on social just to drive brand awareness. Awareness. 
So yeah. any traffic is a success. Right. Or even no traffic, just an impression. <laughs> just seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but you and I are, are B2B guys. So we are, yep. um, for B2B, I emphasize the network. And actually at a social media conference, it's the same message. You know, B2B, I emphasize networking. We need no, what, do you, what do you mean by that in terms of, I mean, networking to get into their job, networking to get into a conference? What, what kind of networking? Well, let's say that uh, the people who refer business to me sure. tend to have a certain job title and tend to live in a certain city. Okay. Where do I find people with a certain job title in a certain city? Social media. Mm. Ten, 10 second LinkedIn search, I can find 500 people that are possible referral partners. Or let's say the people who... Uh, who hire me have meet certain criteria, I can find them and target right. them. Or the people who might write about me. Let's say I want to get uh, ink. I'm trying to get press. You know, where right. do I find all the journalists who are interested in online networking? Social media. It's an amazing phone book. That's true. Or, or how do you do SEO? SEO is based on links, which are based on relationships with content creators. Right. How do you find a huge pile of people who create content and care about your topics? Social media. How do you start conversations with them? within social media. So it's a, it's an amazing phone book. It's an amazing phone. Mm. It's just, it's a way to gradually build relevance with the people who can drive massive, but indirect benefits to your business. So I don't think you can do SEO without doing social media. Mm. Is that the thing? Cause I definitely heard that, you know, as you know, everything evolves these days, social SEO just intertwined. Yeah. I mean, Work backwards. So I get a lead. I got a lead because I converted someone off a service page. Sure. I got a visitor to the service page because I ranked for a commercial intent key phrase. Mm -hmm. I ranked for the commercial intent key phrase because I have enough authority to rank. I have enough authority to rank because I have enough links to quality and quantity of links to my site. Going backwards on the chain all the way to the demand. Sure. So I have links to my website because I have content worthy of being linked to. And I have relationships with people who make links. How do I have relationships with people who make links? Digital so PR. True. Yeah. yeah. Blog, blogger relations, influencer marketing. The only difference is if you're, doing it, so if you're doing social with search in mind, you're paying attention to not just famous people or influencers or anybody. You're paying attention to the content creators. Right. So you're looking specifically for people who have in their bios, social bios, things like journalist or blogger, um, you know, people who author, people writer, because people who create articles create links, and those links drive the authority. Authority drives rankings. Rankings drive qualified visitors with commercial sure. intent. That now you've got a chance to convert, and now you've got a qualified lead. So yeah, if you trace, if you try to connect every dot, yeah, and every link in the chain, it starts with people. And where are the people? We're all on social. True, true. Do you see that then blending? I'm in influencer marketing. You know, it, it sounds like that's now also wrapped in. It's like, Hey guys, come hang out. Same thing. The hot tub full of like marketing technology. <laughs> it's all, all hanging out. It's a hot tub time machine for marketing. It is. It's the, we do a big blogger survey every year and it's the number one tactic that correlates with strong results. Influencer marketing. Okay. Uh, for the bloggers. Like, yeah. And you could do it with any goal. So like I mentioned, B2C marketers might just do it to get visibility right. for brand awareness. Like they are, they want an Instagram celebrity to mention them. Okay, great. That's great for awareness. But if you're, you're playing a longer game, if you're a B2B SEO guy, 
Right. Because the influencer outreach is more like blogger relations or networking with journalists. Right. You're going to collaborate with a, with a, a blogger with the ultimate ulterior motive in the long run of being included in their content at some point. Right. So make friends with people who write for high domain authority websites. Got it. How do you do that? You're going to find them, you know, you're going to start those conversations on social. Hit them up on social. Yeah. Share their stuff, comment on their stuff, become friends, you know, leave comments on their blogs. Take a, take a couple of months, build a list of 10 of 20 of them. Sure. And then just gradually make friends with them. And when the time is right, say, Hey, I'd like you to contribute a quote to what I'm working on. Right. And then you won't be surprised at all when they, a month later say, Hey, will you contribute a quote to what I'm working on? Right. And that's going to lead to a link back to you. You've got a new friend, you've got referral traffic and you just want a link. Right. Makes sense. That sounds like a much bigger bang for the buck on social than trying to get people to convert when they're just bored. Yeah. Or a million followers on Instagram or I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know what the benefit is of all the, you know, I'm yeah. Totally, yeah. It's, it's yeah. weird what people do online. It's funny. Yeah. I was, I was chatting with um, a younger person, younger professional on the plane uh, to Toronto and she was just all on Snapchat. And sometimes the reaction you get from the younger crowd is like Facebook. Psh, what is that? I'm on Snapchat, you know? So it's just this sort of constant evolved, but it's an evolving way to keep yourself entertained as opposed to that intent you were talking about with the, with the search. Yeah. It's uh, I, I have never heard of, unless it's a networking benefit somehow or a way to keep in touch with influencers. I can't imagine mm-hmm. a B2B upside to being, to spending, you know, four hours a week on Snapchat. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, I, I haven't made, I haven't bridged that gap mentally yeah. yet either to figure out what the uh, value again, B2C, you just, flashing your thing but b2b some of the worst tweets that i see in my my uh in your stream there in my stream they're promoted <laughs> like who did i did i follow this person who's this i gotta unfollow them oh it's a promoted tweet that explains it <laughs> mm-hmm. so what would you say then we've got people we're looking to get them to maximize using marketing in general marketing automation content is ammo it's the fuel makes everything work. It's like the lifeblood. How do you approach it? And, and background for everyone, and maybe you can fill in the details. You built your company, not do going and buying a list, knock, knock. If you're listening, don't do that. Um, buying a list or some other goofy that you literally used what you're talking about here to create your company and you've grown it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you, how, how do you approach that from a, like a, 10,000 foot view for someone who is sort of like written a few articles and not really sure if they're even approaching it the right way. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, um, tricky to compare because I started like a long time ago. So this is like year 17. Um, and so we've been doing it a while. Um, and so what I did isn't necessarily what I would do if I were starting over now. Okay. Um, People today mostly need to niche down a little farther than you would have years ago. Yeah. So we are just like a web design company in Chicago and we targeted key phrases like Chicago web design. (laughs) Right. Okay. WordPress web design, you know, Chicago. Sure. And and there was enough kind of blank space out there for us to get traction in those, in those key phrases and build a site and a brand that, you know, 
worked well there. Sure. Um, today I'd probably go into a niche, a narrower niche, like an industry more, something more specific because right. you can win faster. Yes. The narrower the niche, the faster the growth, um, the easier it is to compete. So, uh, and the so scarier it is too, right? Yeah. The more you niche down, the scarier it all gets, but it's counterintuitive. You grow faster, yeah. you have closed business faster. If you pick the right niche though, right? I, I mean, I, there might be some keyword research to go into that or some, some bio research. You pick the wrong niche, maybe it doesn't actually help you as fast. But to your point, yeah. niche down. I like that. Yeah. It's a good term. Yeah. Saying, saying no is scary. I totally agree. I'm glad, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you said that because to niche, you have to decide what you don't do. Right. So I might get, I might get interest or demand for a certain thing that I've decided is outside what I do. Right. To say no to those things. And that's been really hard for us and scary for us, but we've always done it. No, we are not a marketing company. We just do web design. You know, no, we don't do those other things. We just do web design. So um, we've had to say no to a lot of things. We tried other stuff and it didn't work as well. In a way, it's weird because web design is one of the harder things to offer, actually. It's a really difficult service to offer in a lot of ways. Millions of details, like it's high-touch service, kind of emotional deliverables. It's hard. Um, but anyway. It's, it's so hard that that has been one, one of my easiest no's. Hey, Cheshire, <laughs> do you do web design? Hey, we'll help you with landing pages. You want your whole website done? Nope. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, because what I can't stand is that blue. Could you make that blue a little different? Maybe like a little little more like a cloud blue. No. Oh man. Go talk to Andy. (laughs) Call me later. (laughs) I'm going to go one level deeper on that before we go talk more about like what to do now. But yeah, the problem, yeah, you, you nailed it because the problem is opinion. Mm. Web design clients have a vision in their mind that isn't based on data or hypothesis. For sure. They're not asking to experiment, you know, Good. with one creative or another. Yeah. It's like, um, it's everyone, they need to have a feeling when they, when you, you know, when they open their site or when they land on their page, or when they see when their design deliverable right. presentation meeting. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, the, the, you know, the, the unicorn client out there, the, the dream client would be the client that says, um, together we believe that this headline on this page will generate demand and rank in search. Uh, why don't we try that and see if it worked? And if it doesn't, we'll iterate by updating it after it's live. No. Instead, they want, you know, more likely uh, web design clients want to wordsmith that page or rewrite that headline 25 times or agonize over... and everyone's got a different thing, right? It might be the headline, it might be the color blue or whatever the thing. I was going to say, I, I'd be surprised if you even got to the words. I, I think sometimes the creative side of marketing just focuses on the look and feel of it, not even UX look. And we were talking, right. Marley right. was all about UX for the experience, not just the, you know an app, but also for mapping that out. Totally. Makes yeah. sense. But uh, you know what? I, I saw a web template the other day, mountain climbing. I love mountain climbing. This is probably the, shit, the shittiest template ever, but someone was probably like me and was like, I love mountain climbing. Give me some mountain climbing. <laughs> it's not user-friendly at all. You can't find anything. The, the, the links don't even, you can't even see them because they're white on blue or something. And Yeah, making decisions for the bad reasons and, you know, emotional drivers and, you know. You're a hero to be able to handle that. <laughs> it's hard. There's 38 of us, you know. Yeah. Um, we'll do 50, 60 sites a year. Sure. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard work. So, yeah, dear listener, please don't let your kids go into web design as a service. It's very <laughs> challenging. Anyway, so, yeah, today I would niche down. Niche down, okay. 
I would create a set of search optimized sales pages that are totally focused on the topic. I mean, I would build long sales pages that are filled with tons of evidence, social mm. proof testimonials. My sales pages would be like 30 or 40% testimonials. Interesting. Big calls to action throughout the page. Answer to know your audience and answer their top questions on each service page. Mm. That's the key to conversion. Build a great mousetrap first, basically, right? By having pages that are filled, that have three things, answers, evidence, and calls to action. Answers to visitors' top questions, roughly in the priority in which they would ask those questions. Evidence to support each of those answers that you gave. Right. Don't make a testimonials page. Visitors don't go to testimonials pages. No, make, they don't. Make every <laughs> page. You mentioned that. Yeah, they don't. That doesn't work. Make every page a testimonials page. I like that. Fill the site with evidence or social proof. I'll quote you on that. Something, yeah. Make then, every uh, page. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I wrote a big, long thing about testimonials I could share. And then finally, um, calls to action. Specific calls mm. to action that, that indicate a benefit of clicking. Right. So, yeah. So these are now you've got high converting sales pages, service pages, product pages, and those might be also optimized to rank if possible. Sure. If you understand the competitive landscape enough to choose a phrase that you have a chance of ranking for. If you're a brand new site, you should be targeting four and five word phrases. Mm. Sounds crazy. If you're a young brand, been doing this for a while, you can target, you know, three and four word phrases. You got to kind of be famous these days to rank for like the two word phrase. Mm. Uh, and then I would turn on, I would build the, the, the blog next to it, the content yeah. marketing program. And that program would be based on a few cornerstone pieces of like anchor content, like mm -hmm. that awesome, amazing thing. And everything's built off of that thing. Yeah. And it's like a piece of original research. It's like got tons of contributor quotes in it. It is got, you know, visual sound bites of data or, or statistics. Original research crushes all, all other formats for content. So the, the type that most, and was this from Sumo or? But it's sports or? Steve Rayson again, same oh, guy. Wow. Steve Rayson analyzed yeah. earlier. Yep, Steve, he crushed it again. <laughs> and he made this article where he analyzed a million pieces of content, much smaller Thanks. data set. That's a small data set. <laughs> And he looked at what formats for content one and two formats one, um, opinion forming journalism, basically, right? Like op-ed and original research. Now, opinion forming, uh, a strong opinion is hard to reproduce. I know very few people who are willing to try to create a content strategy around strong opinion. That takes balls. It does. <laughs> it really does, right? Yeah. I mean, wow. The people who do that well, they stick their neck out. They're trying to cause controversy. They have enemies. They'll declare their enemies. You know, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but original research is a totally repeatable, scalable mm. format for content. So yeah. we've done this a lot. It works amazingly well. It explains your thousand bloggers every year. Exactly. What's right, up, guys? Yeah. Yep. That's it. That's it. So every year we answer the question, how long does it take to write an article? We're the only place that has their credible statistic for that. It's three hours and 20 minutes on average. So yeah. You, three hours and 20 minutes. Has that gone up over the years? It's gone up 40% over the last Interesting, because years. I could have swore it used to be like an hour and a half or what was it? Now it's, it's like three two hours. Yeah. Uh, I could find the thing. Search for blogging statistics and you'll find it. Interesting. Um, it's like the one of the pages that ranks for that. 
So, so I'm, does that indicate to me that people are actually working harder than on their content? Yeah. Yeah. People much are harder. working a lot harder. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, there are, uh, 12% of us that spend six plus hours on an article. Interesting. And what'd you say? You said six, right? You were yeah, six to eight usually. Uh, so 2014, it was two hours and 24 minutes. Now it's three hours and 20 minutes. Right. Going up. Going up. Going up a lot. Yeah. So it's, it's just noisy, right? People are trying to compete in the same noise. Mm-hmm. And they're right. Now, what's interesting, though, they're spending more time writing the article, but they're probably just rehashing something that someone already said. And it's yeah. not original research. Unless with this, I mean, I hopefully it correlates and these people are spending three hours and 20 minutes on original research. Well, original well, research would blow that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's not segmented by format. You can't tell right. from their answers whether, you know, what they're writing specifically, but right. uh, 1300 bloggers answered the question, how long do you take? Um, this piece itself of original research is like 150 hours. Right. I spend on getting the, you know, the blogger <laughs> survey. Yeah. 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 Doing all the outreach um, gathering up the, all the data, analyzing the data, creating the graphics for it, reaching out to, to influencers for their contributor quotes, which again is another trick, right? I'm using influencer marketing and networking. Yep. So, um, and if I'm quoted in something, I'm for sure going to promote it because I like the fact that my name's in it. And promotion. So when they say, you know, Andy, how do you get all these journalists and, you know, high powered bloggers to know about your content? They're in it. Their faces, right. they're, they're, and that's, you know, all of us, right? Who wouldn't totally. you agree to be? I, I, anyone that asks me to be part of anything, if I'm not super busy, I will drop what I'm doing and give a contributor quote to anybody that asks, why wouldn't I? Right. And then as soon why as not? it's live, I will share it, right? Why wouldn't I? So. And I quote this person, and if you haven't heard of him, now you have. Yeah. As the authority. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. this piece we're making right now. We're making sure. a collaborative piece of content that we're both going to promote. Why wouldn't we? Why not? It's collaborative content marketing. Ally and creation, ally and promotion. I love that. Build a team. You got a squad, right? You got a group of people who are all helping promote that thing together. Yeah. Compare it to the alternative. I write this thing in the dark. No one knows it's out there. It goes on. Yeah. Yeah. And then I hope to build an audience after it's published. No one, yeah. No one promotes it. You're self-serving. Yeah. Instead, you know, we should be kind of creating our stuff in public. Right. I'm thinking of writing this thing. Let me get some feedback from my friends on whether this is a good topic. Now they know about it. When it goes live, I'm going to let them know that I've did it. Right. And they're in it. They're in it. Yeah. Quote them. Contributor quotes are really powerful marketing. That's, that's interesting. You know what? It's, that's an advantage. So the people listening to this get that advantage. The people that don't are spending their three hours and 20 minutes and uh lonely and they're sad they're they're not having fun they're they're not having fun and you know what else is even worse than not having fun writing it is seeing two views of it after you just spent six hours but to your point you got to do the promotion sometimes we we wash our hands of it like oh i just write well you better be promoting too yeah that's why journalism that's why news media is screwed is because the the journalists weren't thinking about Content promotion. Right. Right. For sure. So, so the time it's taking on these articles is changing. What else is changing? Cause you've been, like you said, you've been doing this for a while. More bloggers are using editors. Uh, more bloggers are checking analytics. Really? 
more well, blood analytics that makes sense more so than normal oh to find out it's, what works and what doesn't. it's creeping up yeah okay. um uh bloggers are writing longer the average blog post is now 1142 words 1100. Uh, that's up that's up from 800 that's oh, a pretty wow. big increase yeah that is an increase yeah that's uh 41 percent longer now they're um, doing this would you say they're they're doing this because they think it's working or they just they're doing this i mean are they just lambs walking off the cliff <laughs> you know and they, all they had to do is spend 40 uh 400 words and they would and promote it yeah so this is the same result so or, basically or do you, you do tie the success into yeah writing we, more? we try so there's the final question is do you get no results or weak results or some your strong results so we correlate mm. we correlate people who do these different things and okay, okay. With yeah. those, so 56 percent of people who write 2000 word plus articles get strong results, which is a lot more than, you know, only 20% of the people who write shorties get strong results. So it's like, you know, what's funny is there's still that 44% that wrote 2000 words and didn't quite see much, but to your point, it's because they may not have promoted it. Right. So which promotion tactics correlate? So I asked this question too. Okay. Yes, that too. Okay. Yeah. So um, how are you promoting your content? Do you promote it with social media, with SEO, with email marketing, with influencer outreach, with paid? We asked mm. that about the paid question. So which promotion tactics correlate with strong results? Uh, influencer outreach correlates with strong results. 48% of bloggers that do influencer outreach report strong results. Um, social media, only 30% mm. of bloggers that use social media. And by the way, almost every blogger is using social media. It's like 90, 96%. And there's probably some crossover between influencer and social media anyways. Yep. Should be tons of that, I'm sure. But as an individual, like as the self-reported individual promotion right. tactics, um, paid and influencer marketing are the ones that correlate the most with strong results. Interesting. Tell me about the paid because that, that's interesting. Spending money not for your lead squeeze page, your lead capture page, but just to get people to read my article. Buying, yeah, tra buying traffic. So this one is maybe the most surprising result. Okay. Like kind of blew my mind. It's the percentage of bloggers that are doing paid went from uh, a very small percentage uh, to one in four. There's a five, a 500% increase in the percentage of people who are using paid over the last three years. Wow. It's way up. It's the biggest change in the, in the entire survey. Paid is way, way up. So now one in four bloggers is buying traffic. So stock tip. Interesting. Buy Facebook and Google. I mean, it's it's very obvious that people, that the, the, the digital giants are intermediaries that are pushing us toward paying to access an audience. Mm, true. Which means we should be in love with email because email doesn't have it. To come Build our own audience. Yeah, the whole yeah. Thing, Facebook. Oh, yeah. You know, create your whole community on here. Oh, you want to talk to them all? No, that's mm, extra. Yeah, got to pay. JK. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, I mean, that's the gist of it basically sure. is that um, uh, more people are paying uh, for traffic, but they report strong results. Uh, it, it, they should report strong results because they get data about, you know, traffic and click-through rates. Hopefully they're tracking. What's your thought on frequency and, you know, how much is, 
how much is enough? Um, and you know, one of the things we get this a lot too, when people are buying marketing automation, we're usually involved in the process, try to help coach them and help them understand uh, what they're doing. And and I've been able to, you know, create some automations with just a little bit of really good stuff. Um, and I didn't need to get a lot, but sometimes people get into this content. I don't have you know, a library of 30 articles, so I don't know. I, I can't move. I can't do anything. I'm not going to email or, or this or that. But really, if you're doing a blogging program, I'm sure yeah. you've got either some stats or some thoughts on how much is enough? Is there yeah. still is that still a thing? Well, B2B marketers, I think, have can ask themselves a question. Uh, how long does it take people to decide whether or not to hire you? Mm. Or in web design, it takes like more than a month on average. Okay. Better than some software that takes like six months. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you've got a very long sales cycle. Do you need to have a daily blog? Probably not. <laughs> you top of mind by tuning your frequency to be aligned with the sales cycle. Oh, I love that. Or the buying interval. How often do people buy your kind of thing? You know, you right. don't need to be you know, weekly, if people use you once every four years, you know, so, so sales cycle and buying frequency are, um, buying interval are ways to consider, to think about frequency a little bit. So people think that I'm nuts for only publishing every two weeks. It's plenty. It's enough. Like mm. I can stay top of mind with that in terms of supporting sales. The, now the, the survey does show that frequency correlates with success. And the more frequently people publish, the more likely they are to say they got strong results. It's a, it's scary, but is there a curve to that? Does it, straight is there a point line. where that really? So yeah. you go crazy, you get you're more likely to get the crazy results. Do the daily thing, daily, multiple times a day. People who publish, the more people publish, the more likely they are to say they get results. Now, I don't. That's there's extreme examples for out search, there. right? Yeah, for search. Yeah. I'm obviously we're not. People listening, don't click your send button on email multiple times a day. You're going to get unsubscribed. <laughs> yeah. But in general, if you look at the curve of where pe- the frequency, yeah. it's declined a little bit. These are individual bloggers answering the question, how often do you publish? Multiple times a week is down. Multiple times a month is up. So mm. people are gradually publishing a little bit less, right? Weekly comes down a little bit. Monthly comes up a little bit, right? It's because we're writing longer and spending more time per article. We all have finite amounts of time and energy. So yeah, I think that, uh, whatever you can do consistent. So generally speaking, monthly is the minimum. Weekly is amazing. Whatever you can do to be consistent at that minimum level of quality, like we were talking about, right. You know, probably we should all be month, you know, weekly or biweekly with really good stuff. Right. And spend more time promoting those things. Right. More than half the job is promoting it. So it's not just about pumping out, you know, you get better results if you quit pumping out a medium quality blog post every other day and write something that's higher quality with better promotion efforts right. once a week. It makes a lot of sense. Shift that less frequency on the actual article, more emphasis on the promotion. Yeah. You know, you don't need something. I mean, the internet's not waiting for another medium quality blog post. You're not not helping anybody. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. Why publish another so-so thing? Because it's Wednesday and your your calendar said you've got to do it. Right. Dial back. I would suggest most people can get better results by dialing back their frequency, upping their quality, and burning way more calories on the promotion side. Or even just going back and updating older content. Actually, Mm -hmm. if you've been doing it a little while... That's yeah. one of the killer tactics is updating older stuff gets you great results. 
Now you're writing this yourself. You're in, is your company, are they doing this as well? Or are you just the, are you the sole? It's almost, a, it's not, it's not a single, uh, it's a, it's a multi-author blog. Sure. But most of the other contributors are guests. Well, yeah. The only other writer well, here is a man. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we publish weekly. I publish bi-weekly, but there's a, but at the intervals, we have other people who write. Um, the newsletter is, we only send an email every two weeks, mm-hmm. which is very low frequency compared to some. Um, but most of these articles that I write are optimized for search, right? which is how and we were talking before the show. Um, we're driving more than a million visitors a year. Right. I have a bi-weekly newsletter and I'm driving a million, a million and two uh, unique visitors a year. Like that's actually kind of a lot for a relatively low frequency. It is a lot. When you mentioned a million, I was like, damn. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, uh, but that's mostly from search, right? It's, it's years oh, yeah. of, of optimizing. Years of optimizing for that search. Yeah. So at any given time, right now there's uh, 24 visitors on the site. They're reading all these different articles and all these, you know, search optimized topics. Um, so that's, yeah, it's, it's hard work, but uh, uh, we put a lot of emphasis on the promo and the promotion side, distribution side. Right. That makes a lot of sense, which, but that's interesting because, you know, you, did you start out as just a pure play web design company and then you, you added these elements on? Is yeah. it, how, how did that evolve? Well, so after eight years of building websites, I knew that I needed a mechanism to keep in touch with people right. um, who didn't hire us the first time. Right. Or uh, who hired us and, and um, you know, we've got, we're starting to lose touch with them or something sure. or people are considering us and, you know, we don't, we have no reason to call them back every day, you know, so we're trying to like it's keep in touch with people over long periods of time. I'm like, perfect. I'm going to write a blog post, giving away as much value as I can and, right. send, and send an email to who was ever, you know, to build an email list. And I did, and that was 10 years ago and it was the start of our content marketing program. And that was basically the thing. It was a sales support tool to keep in touch with people over time. Right. And then you add in, you know, social and networking and collaboration. And then you add in more uh, keyword focused articles. Right. Uh, you add in some of the marketing automation type tactics like um, converting email addresses off of articles and, um, and just build that ecosystem. And then we, of course... We've got a podcast. We do monthly events, live events. We have an annual conference. So you kind of build off of You've that. You've got a podcast? I do, but don't tell anyone. Okay. I like, I like it's a secret. I don't want people to know. <laughs> okay. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. I'm teasing myself because it's very poorly promoted, right? Like I'm doing... I'm yeah. Doing I'm talking about your the point. Podcast. Yeah. Well, we can, we can always analyze and fix some of the things we're doing. So, I, But I hear you, right? Okay. Make sure we promote it too. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's great. I like it. It's a fun, it's not an interview show. It's just me and a buddy and we, and we, um, it's like a, a short, yeah, we, we, we break down one topic. It's like rapid fire. It's like 22 minutes or sometimes a little longer. And, um, uh, it's, we don't, we're not as consistent as we should be, which is part of sure. the problem. Sure. Not nearly as rambly as this one though. <laughs> you know, the long format's good. This is solid. This is a good conversation. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes, you know, you have the early things. It's good to just, you know, break off the, the, the uh, I was going to say crust or the, the mold, but, mm-hmm. you know, shake off the cobwebs with uh, some myth busting, but then, you know, you're really diving into it. To your point, the layers below the layers. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's, um, uh, I like this and, and you get to spend a little more time with someone and go a little deeper right. on the topics and you don't feel as rushed. So our show, it's called content matters. It's like content matters. Okay, cool. We'll link to that. And, and we just go fast through each, each thing. So right. this one here, I like this, this format we're in now cause it, we're, um, exploring things in a deeper way, right. pulling up other research, looking at examples, sure. you know, follow-up questions. Um, that our show is more like a list, almost like a punch list of tactics. It's, That's cool. You know, to each their own, right? There's different you know, ones that sometimes I'm in the mood for like a Tim Ferriss, like give me the answers and I'm getting out. And that, that he has his prearranged questions, get those answers, get out of here. But sometimes it's, it was, uh, I think it was Danica Patrick. I was listening to you on Joe Rogan and, and she is intense. And, and sometimes you just needed some more of that conversation or to find out that she's into wine now. She's leaving racing to do, you know, so it's like sometimes wow. those things are helpful. And I think also people's backgrounds too can mm-hmm. be really helpful. Um, yeah. Speaking of that, how, how, did you, how did you get into this? Have you just always been like a web guy and it sort of just evolved or how did this all start? Yeah, well, I'm old. You can tell. Um, you. you don't so. look old. 40, I'm, I'm 46 in a couple, in a month or two. Um, okay. So Gen, thank you. Gen X. <laughs> uh, so I graduated uh, high school. Gen in, X. What is that? Generation X would be, I guess they're 20 years each, right? So that, that's 65 to 85. And the millennials are 85 to 2005. Oh, geez. Okay, so, cool. So uh, I was right, born well, like solid. Me, Generation X. Steve. Generation X. Yep. That's what they call it. Sus. <laughs> so started college before the internet was a thing. Yeah. And then graduated college. I did a foreign language degree. Uh, studied Mandarin. Went and lived in China. Thought I'd be like, loved it. Did like deep, deep in like the Chinese thing. Was your and, degree like, in Mandarin? Mandarin. Mandarin degree. No um, kidding. It's called Asian language and literature. It was okay. like uh, University of Iowa. Um, random place to learn Chinese. Awesome. Super interesting. Lived not, in just, not just the language of the culture and all sorts of things built into that degree. No, the degree is actually, they call it Asian language and literature, but there were like literature. a couple of like literature classes or like poetry or something, but almost all um, of it was gotcha. language. You're just gotcha. taking like tons of language classes. <laughs> yeah. It's like the <laughs> Air Force Academy. They're just trying to become fluent. Right. So, we were but, like Mandarin 17. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, it's like four. Well, it was just, the classes are long and intense. And by the time you're in like fourth year Mandarin, there's only two people left. Oh, really? Yeah. There were just two of us. I was, the, I was the only, um, graduate with that degree that year at a school wow. of 50,000 people. I'm like the only Mandarin major that who finished that year. Anyway, whatever. It's like random anecdote. What color it was your, <laughs> uh, this you know? is Iowa. So it was gold. Okay. I don't know that they were color. Oh, wait, no, no, everyone listening. I was just trying describing the hood you wear when you graduate. Yeah. The tassel <laughs> and the, yeah, the yeah. cap and gown thing. Uh, it, it was a big tent school and a huge ceremony. And I was a slacker, probably hung over. <laughs> I was a bad student, but generally, uh, but loved China, lived in China and finally finished learning Chinese when I was there. Came back. Became, how, how long were you in China? Just nine months. Okay. It was not even a year. I was gone for a year, but I, the last three months of my trip, I was traveling. So I was like studying. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, some people talk about wishing they did that. Yeah. I mean, it's um, like to do the solo backpack thing around the world is yeah. um, a good experience. I was basically, it sounds romantic. I was like food poisoned and sunburned it's and true. like 
it's not all horrible shape by the time I got back. Like I was like strung yeah. out. Just um <laughs> I, I was That's like the real side, right? Like hardcore. <laughs> Let's yeah, this, how it really, this is how it really is. <laughs> yeah. Get off a bus in southern Morocco and everything's closed and some random guy lets you sleep on his roof and you wake up and you're dying of thirst and there's the Sahara Desert and you're you know, the some the yogurt tastes spoiled, but you drink it anyway. It's like where am I? like I was broke. <laughs> I was broke and skinny and food poisoned and and sunburned, like walking around North Africa in like <laughs> 1996. Like, where am I? Like, I did I no money. I was uh, kind of a wreck actually on that trip. I, it was amazing. It was, uh, don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, you I started out it. in China. You ended up in Africa. No, well, okay, so oh, it, it wasn't like yeah, I wasn't like walking the whole time. <laughs> okay. I, I, my mom got me, I, so I had like a graduate. I'm a little lost, guys. Where, yeah. where, where's Manchuria? No, like, no, this is Africa. <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah, I rode a horse across Asia. <laughs> yeah, I had a ticket, an around the world plane ticket, which they maybe still do. And you, oh. can get on, you, you can get on a plane and go anywhere you want as long as you keep going in the same direction. <laughs> you can't go backwards. Oh, I gotta do that. So that was what I was up to, I, but I didn't have any money really. I was staying in hostels, and mm. I didn't, and I was traveling by myself. So I was always trying to stay in the cheapest place I could. Sure. Trying to get off the plane in Morocco or Egypt or Spain or wherever, right. and just go to you know. I was like in the little hostel room with all the other backpackers, <laughs> yeah. and then walking around myself. Whatever, it was cool. It's cool for a while. It's certainly not staying at a you know four star. I was no, <laughs> no, I was not, I didn't stay at any hotels. Right. Um, uh, I sometimes slept in airports or in train stations. Um, but it's so funny. We're talking like, you're right. This is like the Rogan format. Like we're just going, no one's ever well, asked me about interesting, that. Right. I, you're the first yeah. person I've ever talked to about, like it never comes up. And you're like, Oh, that's, uh, and then I came back from China. I'm like, Whoa, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. This is 20 years ago. So, so China was China part of that around the world thing? And you just yeah. you lingered in China for a while? Was that the well, idea? Or? Mm-hmm. I was a student at Beijing University for a semester. Got it. And then I stayed and taught in a private school for a semester. Okay. And then I had basically three months. So then I did the then I used the ticket to go travel all the places I could on my way back. Then I got back and I had no money and I <laughs> and I decided not to be a teacher. I was going to be a, a foreign language teacher. Sure. I was certified to teach Chinese to Iowa in Iowa in high schools, <laughs> went a different way. Uh, lived in my mom's basement, got a job at a Barnes and Noble. Okay. Before long, I found a job as an IT recruiter. So I started placing. Hey, IT I've done that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, it's like that. Uh, was it just, what, what were you recruiting for? Database administrators, system admins, VB programmers, sure. all kinds of, this is like um, Y2K. This is late nineties. Yeah, so, for me it was um, ETL, like d- going from one database to another, finding Oracle guys or Informatica cool. folks like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a good business, but uh, bore, but I wanted to make create. Uh, so basically, here's the full circle story. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to make something. Right. It's not creative. No, it's not. No, you don't make anything. You're just you're just negotiating with people constantly. Yeah. yeah. How much do you want an hour? <laughs> yeah. That guy had that job. Now he works over there, and I made a commission yeah. when he changed jobs. Yeah. They already have jobs anyway. It's not like you're doing any humanitarian service, no. like helping people find jobs. But at least they want to talk to you, right? Cold calling. No one wants to talk to you when you're calling. Yeah, who's calling? So and so. Okay, what do you want? Well, I may have a job for you. Oh, 
all right, well, hold on a second. And they, 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 they nervously scramble to find a location. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a, you get, they take the calls. Um, so how'd you get into web from there? Well, I was making uh, personal projects at night. We yep. were, my friend and I had tried to start a company that did interactive comic books. Oh, cool. Totally silly. Did not succeed. But I learned Flash. Why not? Just real quick, because that sounds badass. Bad business model. Oh, okay. Poor promotion. Like, promotion. like we said at the top, right? Again, yeah. yeah. No marketing. Just making stuff. Right. Just wanted to make stuff. So it's like, oh, let's make a, a story about pirates. And instead of drawings, we'll make picture, we'll make people out of clay and we'll build paper mache boats and we'll sew <laughs> pirate clothes and we'll take like this old Sony camera with a floppy disk in it, take 20 pictures to animate the frames of this count. Like we're just trying to make stuff. It was it was fun. It was silly. It's like some some Sochi was happening right there or uh, <laughs> some sake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We had just no plans for success we were just trying to make stuff sure partying at the same time and just it was just not it was we were like kids you know yeah early 20s and then um basically quit the job all at once started building websites with my with the same guy my friend he'd already been doing it for a while but i started with him in january of 2000 okay oh you you meant i'm sorry you mentioned you learned flash so that was like the tie-in you learned flash, right. which back in the day flash. was was awesome. It was big like thing. the thing. It was a big. A lot thing. of people built websites just out of flash too, which now we cringe, them. you know. But we built a lot of flash websites uh, in analytics that have a bounce rate of one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Nothing was trackable. <laughs> Nothing was trackable. <laughs> and then finally, um, uh, started the web design company, and then uh, learned learned SEO and analytics right away. Yeah. Tried started learning it then, so I've done eighteen years of analytics and SEO, and then um, just grew it organically to the point, like I mentioned, like where we started doing content in uh, around uh, two thousand seven. Yeah, I gotta ask: Have you have you done any Chinese websites? No, I don't do anything with Chinese almost. It's, no. uh, it's a shame. I would love to. I have a conversation in a restaurant every, you know, a couple times a year. But oh, cool. You got uh, to keep going, right, with it? Or maybe it's already hardwired and after 17. I think it declined and then it stabilized. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, I sat next to someone on a plane on the way to a conference. I was sitting next to this old lady who, and we talked in Chinese for like an hour and it was great. Oh, wow. Yeah. But no, n- not really. But Casey, you done the, how do you get on to, go from mountaintops to digital? You're on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just going to say I, on the language, I didn't get that far in in Mandarin, but uh, I, I know one sentence, but don't ask me. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. But uh, I, I did pick up Arabic when I was in Iraq. Wow. And no one was like, you need to learn this. I just wanted to learn it so I could read signs or talk to people. Um, and it was really cool. And now it, you can appreciate this. If the letters are not English, you've got several steps more than your friends learning Italian and Spanish and French, um, especially if it goes in a different direction, <laughs> you know, yeah. right to left or left to right. But I really enjoyed it. And I got to being about, I don't want to give myself too much credit, but maybe like a second grader. Cool. Re- reading and writing. Wow. But I, you know, I didn't have anyone to keep it up with so mm-hmm. but every now and then i'll bump into someone and also the dialect too iraqi mm-hmm. arabic is much different from from mm. all the ones so 
I, I would sound like an Iraqi if I talked to anybody um, as opposed to... Yeah, I was going to gonna say that. You've got yeah. that Iraqi accent. I heard that right away. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if that's a compliment, but thank you. <laughs> no, that's cool. I never knew that. So, so there's different... The Chinese is kind of the same. I sort of have a Beijing accent in Chinese. Okay. Um, yeah, no, for, with Arabic, uh, Lebanese is... Well, everyone has their opinion, but I have a friend uh, from Lebanon and, and I, I've heard different versions. Lebanese to me sounds like Elvish. It sounds like that really amazing kind really? of flowy... Yeah, you're like, ooh, this is kind of neat. You know, it's one step removed from Tolkien and, wow. uh, and I like it. Whereas, um, and, and a lot of people feel that way, but I'm sure they all like their own dialect, but no one really has a problem with uh, Lebanese. Iraqi Arabic, and again... <laughs> People burn me on Twitter, but um, it's a lot. It's almost closer to German. It's much more staccato. It's mm. it's not as as flowy or eloquent. It's a little bit harsher, and so it's you spot it in the in this. And I always like learning the slang too. I did never like learning. Mm-hmm. You know, you could learn MSA Arabic and sound like you're a textbook. <laughs> then everyone knows you're a textbook, and they don't quite understand you. Mm. So I, I always like learning the local slang and. Uh, but yeah, I, for me, I didn't get to the point where it was so ingrained. But every now and then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sling a word or two and it gets kind of fun. Very cool. Actually, you, you mentioned the conversation with the lady on the plane. I had one uh, on a street corner. It was a lot shorter. It wasn't, it wasn't a whole plane ride with, with a lady. But I was uh, guarding a corner uh, of this particular street intersection. Nothing's happening, but we're just there to make sure nothing's happening. And um, there was a father with his son, um, a local. Uh, and they were looking at the trucks. Ninety nine point nine percent of people really liked us, and were really, really friendly. Um, and we would throw candy as we drove by. It was like a parade every day. We throw mm-hmm. candy people. It was mm-hmm. that point zero zero one percent of people that were no bueno. Yeah. So, um, but this father was there with his son, and you know, said hi to them, and uh, they said hi back. And then I remember the dad saying something like muhara, which um, is roughly to like, it's hot out. And I was like, wow. First of all, I understood what you said. And the second of all, if you think it's hot, I'm from New Hampshire. It snows where I'm from. I'm really in trouble. <laughs> and, uh, wow, it, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That experience way cooler than if it, you know, and, and we actually, we rescued some people one time and they were like prisoners whenever, and we gave them Pepsi. And then after help giving them, yep, it's like ad for Pepsi. And mm-hmm. then, uh, after giving them something to eat and drink, we were just hanging out and you realize we're all just people. And they're, they're asking me, do you have a PlayStation? <laughs> wow. I said, well, I have an Xbox, but I'm like, what are your favorite games? And there's these three of the four guys, like FIFA soccer, FIFA soccer. And there's this gigantic guy who's super tall and he goes NBA. And I'm saying, like, okay, I understand. Um, That's but, great. But yeah, yeah, it's those connections we make with the language that I think is the best part. It's almost like a conduit for the connection for me at least. I love that. I love that whole story. I love that idea. It's um, one of the best things about it is that um, you're learning a skill that you can apply and you know what you applied it. You know that it worked, right? You know that you understood someone and that's, um, I mean, I had a lot of friends that uh, studied like history or English and that's cool, but um, language is an awesome thing to learn. You learn a lot about your own language. Uh, You learn something practical. It raises your confidence levels because you know that. Yeah. So I've got a, uh, we both have kids. Yeah. I've got, uh, I'm, I'm going to insist that my kids learn something like language wise because, Ooh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you think? Chinese? Well, they, you can help them with their homework. Uh, <laughs> we can't help them with their math anymore. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not because, um, 
I'm, I'm in Chicago and there's just like, there's, there's Spanish is all over. True. No one speaks. I, I, <laughs> yeah. And I go to Barcelona once a year to teach. I often wish I knew Spanish. Yeah. It, uh, and I rarely have the chance to use Chinese. So uh, I know that it's like a hot thing and like Jeff Bezos kids are learning Chinese or whatever. Like, uh, but I, I can't, and, and it's, it's cool. And it's a huge vote of confidence, right? If you know that you can speak some, like people are always impressed by it, but for sure. Um, you gotta, I mean, let's be realistic. You know, Spanish is extremely useful. And, uh, yeah. so if I could trade, I would, you know, I was at, I think it was a honeymoon with the missus and we were in Italy, in Rome. And, uh, we had, we was a tour that walking tours, by the way, if you've ever done walking tours, they're the best. You're walking around, you get out of the bus. Anyways, walking tour ended off at the, the trivia fountain. And we asked the guide, Hey, where do we get dinner? I was obviously restaurants all around that area, but we didn't want to go to like those are restaurants. Where would you go to eat? And they mentioned this uh, this place down the street. They go left, they go right, and it was in this alleyway. And we, we eventually went there. It was the best ever, amazing. The waiter was funny. Eventually, he wrote the tab on the table that the, on the paper. Mm. And uh, but the couple that sat next to us because we were in these like long benches, which is uncomfortable for some Americans. But uh, it, hey, whatever. When in Rome, well, ah. yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly <laughs> so, um, so they were right next to us, and they were from Spain, and they didn't know English very well at all, which is not normal. Normally, people know a little bit of English in mm-hmm. Europe, but they didn't know English very well at all. Um, they didn't know very much Italian. We didn't know very much Italian. And we literally relied on my Spanish four from college to communicate back and forth. And it was really cool because I, I I don't, to your point, I I didn't think I paid attention that much in Spanish class, especially when I repeated Spanish one, two, three, and four again, but I apparently had, and we were able to really bond and communicate with these, these folks from that country. So it was really cool. That's great. It's such a great feeling. You know, it's just it like is. you open the door. Like, I love that stuff. So, were people surprised that you knew Chinese so well? I mean, they look at you and they go, oh, okay, you know. Yeah. I wonder if it would be like that now. I mean, definitely at the time for sure. Like, there was right. so few, I mean, there weren't that many white people there. And to speak um, and, and to, be, uh, to be able to, you know, have long conversations and to speak in, in the language and be fluent, they, it was kind of, um, uh, a surprise, like if I was on a train or something, like people would have never expected that. But um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, the que- it's like, what if history? Like if I had stayed in China from 97 till now, I'd probably yeah. have, I bet I have lung cancer. I'd be a rich guy with lung cancer, I think. And you'd have a beard. You'd have a badass <laughs> beard. When I was like, man, she was just... <laughs> probably. Yeah. yeah, it'd come down, look really good. You know what? You, you'd be giving the TED Talks with that look. People... You know, you'd be getting the clicks. It Instead, wouldn't be clickbait. It wouldn't be clickbait because you'd be delivering value, <laughs> like you have today. So, well, hey, you know, one sure. of the things I wanted to do was, um, you know, where we mentioned your blog earlier. Maybe just throw out some links, some Twitter. How could people contact you? And again, you know, your group you know, URL and it's web, it's SEO, it's mm-hmm. social as well. Or what do you it's, guys? Web design is the core, but there is a small group of people that we do some consulting for. It's got to be a really specific thing mostly, okay. but uh, we do work with uh, select clients on like digital strategy, which is SEO and CRO. It's search optimization and conversion optimization. But cool, uh, yeah, we're a web design company in Chicago. Um, the blog, uh, there's a book 
Content Chemistry. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, maybe just yep. what's the? Uh, I mean, Content Chemistry, cool name, but what's uh, what's in there? more of what we've talked about today? Or it is filled with charts. It's the Illustrated Handbook to Content Marketing. So, oh, I love those charts. I love pictures, man. Millions of it's all about the imagery. I it's mean, your comic it, book it's, days it's, coming to uh, benefit you here. Thank you. Yes. So it's um, it's everywhere you can find books. Uh, the podcast is Content Matters. The annual conference is Content Jam. Um, but mostly people find my best advice on the blog. So um, if you want, we can share the a link to the blogger survey, which I can okay. I can send you a few things, and if you want, you can. Yeah, no, we'll put it on the show notes so people can link to it. And, you know, the show notes will be on hardcoremarketing.com. Core spelled like Marine Corps, not the Earth's core. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, okay, cool. And so, best way to contact you, I guess you've already said, you know, different locations. But Twitter, what's the? Yep. That's how I found you, too, I think. My last name is my Twitter account, Crestodina. Spelled like it's That's not. a cool last name. Is it, what is that, Italian? It's Italian, but it's a long story. I'm not Italian at all. <laughs> you, we don't have to get into You got a flight to catch. So let's get uh, you out of here. Yeah. but uh, And then LinkedIn is a good network if you want to find, okay. me, find me on LinkedIn. And people should probably say something polite and nice to you. Or maybe the fact they heard you on the podcast, not just send them an invite to connect. Well, or if anyone wants to collaborate, you know, send me collaborate. a... Collaborate. Yeah. 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 If I can contribute a quote to anything anyone's working on. Totally. Find me, you know, Andy at orbitmedia.com. There's my email. Drop me a line. I'm happy to contribute a quote to anything relevant to anything we talked about. It'd be a, that's the most fun you can have in content is collaboration. hundred percent. What was that? Ally in the creation, ally in the promotion. Exactly right. That's what we just did. That's what just yes, happened. Yes, that's here. what we just did. It's just a super meta. It's the, the, of the, the. <laughs> we're talking about what we're doing. It's so cool. Excellent. Well, man, thank you so much for coming. We'll have to have you come back on here and hang out some more and we'll just deep dive and maybe we'll do a little more Mandarin. And uh, this was fun. Any, any parting shots? Anything you want to leave us with? Well, hey, hats off to you, Casey, for putting this together and uh, for upgrading the format of your content, not just to audio, but to video. Um, yeah. People who are listening should consider following in your footsteps because uh, um, what we just did is higher value than, you know, the average written piece. This was a blast. And we didn't even have to write a word. Not, not a word. That's it. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it again. And everyone listening, it's the Hardcore Marketing Show. We'll see you next time. Yeah.